there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, Musa. How are you? Good, thanks. I'm actually wearing a Christmas sweater. And if you is saw, it a Christmas sweater? It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's very colourful. Tell, well, tell, it is. I don't like that. I don't. Sorry, no offence. No, the jumper's lovely. Sorry. <laughs> the, <laughs> <laughs> the jumper's lovely. Mm. The fact that you're wearing it on November nineteenth. Well, slash November twentieth, if you listen to this on Monday. You don't like it. Recording this Sunday night. Well, there's just. Shops have got Christmas music in, Christmas decorations are up. I'm like... It's too early, isn't it? I agree. <sighs> Couldn't help myself. Uh, uh, it's also Sky Blue, which is unfortunate, giving the topic of this podcast. Yeah, well, we're all fortunate. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Which is biased. You're a biased podcaster. I'm biased. Yes, I am. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, what, six weeks out to a Christmas or something? And mm. yeah, I don't know, it's all a bit... Oh. Indeed, indeed. Check me going bar humbug. Yes, I know. <laughs> but Hunbug. We, we got him. Hunbug, we got him. <laughs> oh dear. Um, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, quick bit of admin. No Righty's House Tuesday. No Stadio Thursday. So Stadio today, obviously Counter Press will be up. And then we won't be doing Thursday and Righty's House will be back on Friday. So, yeah. And then back to normal next week. So just one less Righty's House and one less Stadio this week. Indeed. Um, thanks to everyone who reached out about the Lotter episode. It was really kind. I thought she was great. Really awesome. So today we're going to do the Manchester Derby in the WSL. We are. Which uh, took place at Old Trafford. The first Derby at Old Trafford in the WSL. And we'll talk about Everton's points deduction which happened on Friday. Well, the, the news broke on Friday. We were, aim- we were hoping to kind of talk a little bit about Liverpool this week, but maybe we can save it for after the Liverpool-Man City game because mm. that's the first weekend back from the men's international break. So it kind of seems like we can just nudge it till next week. I think we can. And maybe a little bit on those, Fisher. But uh, all right, should we get into it? Let's do it. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 3 at Old Trafford. There were 43,615 in attendance which was a new record for uh, a WSL fixture at Old Trafford. I thought it was a really good game to watch. A strange game in terms of the flow. Yes. So it's funny because City had really quite a few shots on goal before United lead, but looked more dangerous after United scored. The quality of chance creation was actually superior, I felt, after United scored. So when United were defending quite deep, they were breaking beautifully behind that high line. You know, City's mm. high line tempting United to go in behind. And I thought some of their play on the counter was, was fabulous. Mm. I thought Galton was really good, really disciplined at left back to the point where Chloe Kelly actually had to go looking for easier targets across the other flank. I think she found the right flank more accommodating, um, her left flank more accommodating. But generally speaking, in terms of the flow of the game, it had almost, let's say, four distinct stages yeah opening section up to 10 11 minutes like it was just all city then yeah. united counter and take the lead city dominant and then mm-hmm. that dominance well it's of the dominance is of five stages city dominant until they go down to 10 players and they kind of had to see it out mm. they kind of had to see it out and actually some of united's play they put together in the last few minutes was pretty decent but actually pretty resilient in the end from from city so it was just a great, a great match just to watch in terms of, you know, hashtag narrative. Mm. But it's also interesting in terms of, I wouldn't say so much the tactical matchup, but the individual performances. Look at this, the City front, front line is extremely attacking. Mm. Aguilar through the middle, the Pemberton on the flanks, and then Shaw up top. It's an extremely forward thinking 
like forward line, actually. If Rod and Hasegawa are your kind of like two sitting midfielders, right. then that means you're, you're really going to push. And I think maybe Gareth Taylor had a bit of pressure. Felt I a bit think of so. pressure and, you know, hadn't had, City haven't been on the best run, run of form. They obviously lost to Brighton last week. They beat Liverpool the week before 4-3, but lost to Arsenal before that. So they've kind of been stop-start a little bit. Mm. You could tell that there was definitely an awareness from City that they couldn't let United benefit off the occasion right at the beginning. Yes. They had to really make a bit of a run from the jump. Yes. And um, they came out looking just wildly superior, yeah. I think, for that opening 10 minutes. United couldn't really land a blow on them at all. No. And then obviously United managed to kind of get a bit of breathing room by doing that counter-attack when Mallard does that incredible little Mallard turn. Mallard really the, oppressive, I thought, throughout. Um, and breaks, lays it off to Ella Toon, who kind of then misses the opportunity to shoot and kind of plays it. Doesn't a, attack yeah, it. Plays, yeah, and plays a bit of a weird pass across the, across the box. Yeah. And then City regained dominance again until the handball on Alex Greenwood, who's just come back, mm. gave United a penalty and Katie Zellan put it away. It was strange because after United had weathered that opening 10 minutes, they started to get into the game a little bit more. They, they broke a couple of times and, could, and just couldn't really find that, pass, that final pass or create that opportunity. But uh, Jay-Z started to really take control of the game. Mallard was really good. Not con- take control, but started to like impose her will on the game. Found great spaces, yeah. actually, and really transitions excellent. Mallard the same. And it started to look like, all right, City could really be in trouble here. Mm. There's obviously that second goal that gets disallowed where the ball goes out of play and oh, it's flagged. For, it's, it's, a really, it's a really weird pa- like passage of play this. So Jay-Z's onside on the through ball. Play continues. I think she probably holds onto it a little bit yeah, too long. Yeah, what the hell she was she laid, waiting for? What the hell she was she laid it, it, was yeah, in, it was yeah. Nikita Paris in the middle, right? She should yeah, have laid yeah, it off yeah. to Paris way earlier. Mm. Alex Greenwood gets a foot on it by the time that she does lay it off and it goes out of play tries to keep the ball in play puts it in the net the assistant flags what looks like for offside but then a goal kick is given it wasn't offside because it was off Alex Greenwood and it actually should have been a corner if it had gone out of play yes that's right and there's no VAR so there's a bit of a confusing reason for the why real, the actual the real sin is the early pass that pass had yeah. gone in that, that's 2-0 uh, that's you know yeah definitely yeah and that was quite that was just I think before was it like two or three minutes later City were 2-1 up Absolutely. And the, uh, the equaliser beautifully worked. Uh, Kelly squaring it to Rod. That was such a good goal. Such I mean, a good Jill, goal. Jill Rod has an ability in games like this just to all of a sudden decide that she's going to start playing. Like, not that she doesn't try. It's not, it's not an effort thing, but I think there are a few players that I've seen that have the ability just to, like, crank the dial a little bit mm. and, and create, <laughs> like, such destruction in such a, such a short, short space of time and then just go back to, like, fitting into the, the system. Do you know what I mean? We saw the Champions League with Wolfsburg. We saw it. Like, you know, those late stages, you saw her and Vasmuth just going on a tear. They would just raise the level. And I think there's a calmness there. Mm. And almost the, um, even though she actually enters the box from deep for that goal, because it's interesting, the way that City play, because they've got Hasegawa and Rod there, Mm. one of the reasons you need the line ultra high is because the moment the ball breaks behind them, you need Greenwood just up on them. And that was actually the strength. It's what, City did actually to their credit really well. It's why the highline I think is brave, but it's really progressive tactically. It's exciting to watch. Mm. But Rod is starting quite far back. And what Kelly does for the first goal, the equaliser for City, she does this thing where she comes into kind of the inside left channel and she looks around, drops deep, and then looks and then spins off, comes round the corner and just finds, navigates I think a one-on-one with Blundell, navigates the one-on-one and then it's just, turns on the afterburner and gone. And the whole time, Kelly's dropping deep. Rod is just kind of walking slash jogging into the box. Mm. And the finish, when it comes, it's so funny. It's so clean and she's in so much space that it looks like just terrible marking, but it's not. It's like someone who's, she sniffed it. She's mm. seen there's an opportunity coming. So she did that beautifully. And then basically like virtually from kickoff, or from kickoff, basically, City regained possession. Shaw has an effort, doesn't work for her. She does a great layoff to Hemp and Hemp just rips it. Top Such corner. a good goal. Gorgeous goal from Hemp. Can I say this as well from, from Hemp's performance? At a certain point, she's filling at left back. Mm. The work that she did defensively in this game was just, it's a Trojan effort. Um, See, outstanding from her. Yeah, I mean, that's how it ended at half time. But I think yeah. it was interesting that I think the theme from the first half actually mm. was both sides' struggles to maybe play out the back efficiently. Yes. Like distribution yes. from goalkeepers, but like both goalkeepers, who I didn't think were 
I mean, we'll talk about Mary Earps for the for the third goal in a little bit, but I think both goal, goalkeepers were struggling to really. Hmm. It wasn't. They weren't nervous by any means. It wasn't anything like that. But it, there was just a a lack of rhythm around both sides playing out of the back. United managed to do it a couple of times where Katie Zellum would drop in and then kind of go. But she got herself into trouble a couple of times as well. well. That's also because she was the only out. Yeah. This is the problem. She was the only out. So then you had Earps and the problem was that Earps, some of the long passing wasn't coming off. Mm. So then that meant, okay, well, go for the short, come in. But then every, there was a target on Zellum's back. And actually, I'm, I'm amazed she got out as easily as she did in the first half because mm. the first, when they were really under pressure, City, well, City were under putting United under pressure, Zellum had a really tough job bringing it by herself because Galton had a relatively muted role was going to mm. sit deep, keep it boring, blunder occupied because Kelly was switching with Hemp to an extent at a certain point. So there was only one rote out. And I think maybe that was also what undid Erbs to an extent in the second half. Well, yeah, because it was just much of the same from the first. And I think it was yeah. more stuff like, even like uh, Alana Kennedy, Alex Greenwood, out to Wahabi, passes that weren't onto the foot so that the defender can kind of control and go forward. There was a yes. lot, and, there were, and it just... It was really small things, yes, but it just stopped both sides like really efficiently just being able to play out the back. I actually think the best period from playing out the back came from United after City went down to 10 players. They started to really move the ball quite efficiently out of that because there was a little bit more space there, yeah. granted, but the rhythm of the passes was really snappy. It was like Which is weird because better. City briefly improved as well when they went down to 10. Yeah. It was also strange. It both almost like, f- it both things everyone's are true. minds. Yeah, both things are true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also I just think that it, I think the fact that United, so everything in between when they did get out mm. and up to that final ball, right. when they broke in the first half, I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I thought Ella Toon was kind of disappointing, hasn't looked super sharp. Her radar and was off today, I would say. It was a small thing with Ella Toon, but just even that pass you got in the first half, the angle of the run, mm. the ball's curving and you know that's going to be the pass you'll get because actually they had that, United very much felt because Galton was left back, didn't have that... Um, playmaking coming from that side in the first half. So you knew it was going to be right to left. Mm. So in the knowledge of that, you're coming from steep and you're attacking the ball in space. So when the ball curves into a path, you might say it was, you know, because at one point the ball curves into a path in the first half, she arrives on it a fraction late and it might be unfair to, to put, isolate that, but it felt like symptomatic of her performance where she was just a step too narrow mm. and a step just behind it. And Ella Toon at her best just is lethal on that. Like mm-hmm. there's no, there's no catching her. So I think you're right. And I think, but that's also maybe a thing about the play that she has, the style she's got. I'm not convinced that as a sort of figurehead, arrowhead and of attack, that's her strongest suit when yeah. you're countering like that. And that's not a criticism of her. I just always felt that she's someone who actually has a more withdrawn role where she's more dangerous, where she operates behind a kind of shore type character. Mm. Um, and when you're playing the counter, these margins are small, but they're the ones that matter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paris has some useful things. I've got to say Paris's movement, actually out of possession, was quite impressive at points. I just felt that United had, you know, they had their chances, you know? It really should have been 2-0. And I'm, only, I'm only saying that in sympathy for United players because they'll look and go, God, if 2-0, what could we have done with that? Because actually, at that point, their counters were spectacular. They were mm. really finding room really well. They were doing it with ease, actually. Mm. So. Not long after the restart, the third goes in. Mm. And again, it's kind of a bit of a, not a mix up at the back, but just a lack of fluidity in the passing at the back allows Bunny Shaw to really close down Mary Earps. And I think Mary Earps made probably a poor decision trying to go long there. She closed on her a lot quicker than she thought. I don't think she thought yeah. she would have. Yeah. yeah. I think if she just aims to go wide, she probably gets away with that. But mm. uh, Bunny Shaw closes down, blocks the shot, it goes in. And that's 3-1 City and City kind of took their foot off the pedal a little bit at that point and just started to manage the game and it wasn't until Leia Alexandri got sent off for a second yellow when she just like (laughs) I mean that was yeah there's a a tap down Garcia yeah I mean it was it was a really really silly silly tackle there was just no need for it at all Mm. there was a covering defender like it it wasn't yeah Garcia wasn't going to Garcia wasn't going to like you know get one back there was there was a lot of room before there was no need for that foul, basically. No, there was no, there was no need for it whatsoever. And then it really energised United in a sense, but they didn't really seem to, to, they took over in terms of possession, I think. Mm. But a lot of it was very much kind of in, not stale areas, but they, they struggled to really cause City a lot of damage with the 
uh, with the possession that they had because Gareth Taylor made a few changes, switched to a back three with wing backs. I mean, what do they really have? They had um, a good effort from Garcia from distance. It was creeping in. Yep. Keaton did well to turn it away. They then had an effort from Zellum that looked like it was going in the top corner, but actually just lacked a bit of power. And that was kind of, kind of it. Even with 11 minutes of added time, uh, Garcia had a, a shot attempt of 10 yards out, but it was closed down really well. City just basically blocked the gaps mm. really, really well. Closed the spaces. And actually this is Gareth Taylor. I have to say credit for him in terms of how he, you know, he's got, we know he's got um, a deep squad, but he really got a tune out of them. He really got a tune out of them. And I think the strength of his coaching, the strength of what City did, really just making them chase the game. Mm. United, we, look, we know that they're going to be a possession-based team, City. We knew that United were expecting less possession, but I think they were really smart the way they drew. They drew United out, and for the most part, they kind of got what they wanted. They kind of got the game they wanted at most points here, I think. Yeah, I think they managed it really well after the second yeah. half. Mm. The only real danger came was when Lauren Hemp, you saw Lauren Hemp as a forward because she's coming up from the back mm. and she just takes one player too many and you're like, yeah, that's a forward. <laughs> because like a, a defensive midfielder lays it off. But that was uh, the only real pressure. The real pressure for City, I think, was um, the bulk of it was self-imposed, I think, actually. The XG, I think, was, was kind of even, but obviously with that was a United penalty. So mm. the non-penalty XG was massively weighted yeah. in City's favour. Mm. And... Um, and I think that's probably something that for Mark Skinner afterwards will be something that is really annoying mm. that they just couldn't. I think they were maybe got a little bit too, not impatient, but there was a lot of clock. There was a lot of time left, especially with 11 minutes added on as yeah. well. There was a lot of time to work city. And I think that a few parts in the final third were just a bit rushed from United and um, tried to maybe get a goal too quickly after the sending off. Yeah. And I think it just, again, it just, it stopped them creating any real, like... Momentum or... Yeah, you rhythm. know, like when, you know when teams go down to 10 and and sometimes you're just camped in your own box and you right. cannot get out and it's just wave after wave after wave of attack. It never really felt like United did that, I don't think. Right, yeah. Um, So I think in the end, I think City deserves the 3-1 th- the win, to be honest. They just so. seem to, they just seem to have like another gear than United, which is a shame because I think that United have been impressive this season, and you know there's there's signs of real progress there, and I think for a showpiece fixture at home, you know at Old Trafford, in the Derby, I think that maybe overall they would probably feel pretty disappointed with with how how much of a gap there seemed to be at certain points of the game for a city side that have struggled as well. Mm. Um, and for a man, you know, for a manager in Gareth Taylor, who's been under pressure. Yes. So yes. we can definitely put this in the credit column. This is, if you're looking at what city should look like, how they should play both on the front foot and adversity, this is, this is absolutely it. More of the same, I think more of the same. So city leapfrog Manchester United and go third which is probably good news for the top two, actually, especially Arsenal, because Arsenal continued their winning run. First clean mm. sheet of the season. They beat Brighton 3-0 away. Mm. Really impressive win. Stina Blackstenius opened the scoring after a, a wild miss kick and then, just, and then proceeded to just turn around and put, pot it, like, pop it in the top corner. <laughs> uh, and then they, it, they left it late after that because Brighton are a good side. You know, we talked about them yeah. beating, beating City. Mm. Caitlin Ford with a great goal, driving forward, smashed it in from outside the box. And then um, Freena Leonardson Marnum got the clincher in stoppage time. Um, Katie McCabe went off and the armband went too. There she is. Lotta Wumoy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great to see Lotta wearing the armband. Um, Wonderful. But yeah, good win for Arsenal. Really good win for Chelsea. Really good win for Chelsea. With the way Liverpool have been moving, mm. I thought this was a moment, actually. This was a real kind of They've given people trouble in games. You know, they took three goals off City, obviously beating Arsenal the first game of the season. This was almost about Chelsea re-establishing terms and they just got a masterpiece from Lauren James. Mm. An absolute masterpiece. You know, um, Liverpool getting back into it. I was, I was disappointed, I think, actually, that, that Liverpool didn't give us more, Yeah, I must say. 
I think defensively, I think this is the genius of, well, of Lauren James is that with a team that's defensively as good as Liverpool, in terms of systems, the way that you really beat them is you have to just beat them the isolation one-on-one. And Lauren James on her day is as destructive a dribbler as there is in world football. And absolutely just, when she orchestrates, and it's not just the, the dribbling, it's also the crossing. The cross she pulled, I think, for the second goal for Liverpool was just, she does that with either foot. This is the thing. Mm. Like she, Lauren James is a deep lying pass. And my one criticism of her, I think at the World Cup, my one criticism was when she was getting stopped in the dribbles and transition, she wasn't relying on her long passing more because her long passing is brilliant. Mm. And there was a point last season where it happened where people were stopping her with the dribbling. So she was like, okay, I can help you with different tools. And I think in this game, we saw the full range of the talent. Now she's not playing against, I mean, it's, it's ifs and buts. So she's not playing against Liverpool then vastly different outcome because there's very few players in world football that can undo you individually like that, actually. Mm. Um, and I'm not even sure how badly Liverpool played, weirdly enough. I just think that Lauren James went into, she went supernova, basically. Just a quick, quick shout for Rachel Daly's stoppage time winner for Villa against West Ham after Lisa Evans has scored a really, really good equaliser as well to get West Ham back in it. Um, so uh, that's got Villa out of trouble because mm. they were in a lot of trouble before the weekend. They were bottom, right, I think, before the weekend. Um, a great goal for Rachel Daly. Um, but yeah, go check Counterpressed for the rest of the women's football chat. Let's talk about Urs Fischer. Urs Fischer leaving Union, which is a real shame, but it seemed to be a ve- very much a mutual thing. He was the party kind of like, statement, yeah. party yeah. by uh, mutual consent, is one of the most beautiful letters to a departing coach I think I've seen in a long time. It's basically just a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. No, let me just very quickly, so just to give some excerpts from it. Urs Fischer took over the position of head coach of the men's professional team of Union on July the 1st, 2018. Together with his longtime assistant coach, Marcus Hoffman, the coach and support team, the team and entire club, the Swiss football coach wrote a unique sporting success story. I mean, he'll go down in Union history as the most successful coach to date. Repeatedly received awards for his work in Berlin, wrote a train of the year in some 2003 by various football specialist magazines. I mean, just... Um, when he was sacked, Union President Dirk Zingler said, I only recently made it clear that Urs Fischer is an excellent coach and I continue to be absolutely convinced of that. I mean, it's just, mm. it's beautiful. You know, the last few weeks have taken a lot of energy. We tried a lot. The team put in a lot, but it didn't pay off in results. Nevertheless, it feels right when a change happens now. Sometimes a different face, a different way of addressing a team helps to trigger development. And the really striking thing about this departure is that Singler and Fisher were talking constantly about what they could do to turn mm. the team around. And they just, like, they lost 13 of the first 14 games. Great reporting in The Athletic talks about how the loss to Braga after being 2-0 up devastated them in the Champions League. And also we can add to that the point against Real Madrid that they lost. You know, they were drawing until very late, until Madrid got the late winner. You know, it's ironic that the Champions League is one of the things that ended up contributing to, to breaking Union or breaking um, Fisher's tenure. But the thing the Athletic makes clear is there's a lot of talk outside the club about how like it got to their heads, they got too far, but actually it wasn't. The priority was always the league. I think mm. what actually happened this year was a mixture of being extended in the Champions League and psychologically devastating because you're working so hard for little outcome because Union were already overextended, I think, in terms of the player performance. The Champions League, unfortunately, is just so ruthless in terms of margins. Mm. And also the fact that like a lot of the other teams have stepped up their game. Mm. You know, Union were brilliant for the last three years and they also took advantage of teams not having, frankly, like their act together. And now that teams have got their act together, it's, mm. it's harder. It's just, it's just a perfect storm. And I just want to say, as, as you, I'm sure you do as well, Urs Fischer, just the bad memories will fade. Mm. Hopefully Union can still stay up, but regardless whether they do or not, I mean, the man wrote them into history. It's... This is a classic case of great coach done otherworldly things at a football club that had like no fucking right to be in the Champions League in the current climate of like wealth in the game. And the way that they built year on year, literally built when the club nearly went bankrupt because of the hands of the fans 
helping yeah. out to rebuild the stadium. The way that they won that qualifier, oh, the, the relegation playoff, sorry, came up to the Bundesliga, stayed up, went into the Conference League, went into the Europa League, went into the Champions League. It's unbelievable. Like, and not that it, you should really talk about cross city rival, rivals at a similar time, but on a, at a time when all of the all eyes were on Hertha to like turbocharge because they had the the Windhorst investment, they were did the whole big city club stuff. You had you had these like completely contrasting trajectories using two completely different methods. Urs Fischer was central to all of it, mm. completely central because. The way that he constantly evolved that side, you know, a few players came in and out, remember? There were a couple yeah, yeah. of like, you know, like losing Iwani, signing and then l- losing Max Cruiser. Which when was Cruiser went, we just thought, deal. my goodness, that's yeah, like, you know. Like, because yeah. when Cruiser signed, everyone was just like, holy shit, Max Cruiser's at Union. This is, yeah. this is unbelievable. And also perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Culturally perfect. Per- yeah, perfect. Yeah. Like, ride it around on a scooter in Berlin kind of thing. Um, I think the joy that that, Urs Fischer has brought to the club you know finishing bottom of that Champions League group is not grounds that is not why they've parted ways no it's not it's the form in the Bundesliga that's now getting to a point when actually something's something's not quite right and it's that thing that Ian always talks about you know he always references Icarus right Mm. and it's kind of a little bit like that we've seen it with clubs before who who have achieved great success kind of unexpectedly and then they suffer a really sharp drop off kind of almost as unexpectedly mm. unexpectedly and I think that the one fear I had for Union this season the signings were really fun to a degree you know like Robin Gorsons coming in was, was just like one of the most stadio signings of all time going yeah. to Union the Benucci one was really interesting because I think it was a sign of what a club in the Champions League can do how they can attract players but also that's quite dangerous when you're you're just like you're attracting players just because you've got in the Champions League mm. when they may not have even had a like any inkling of coming to you the season before. That's a strange kind of balance to to master, I think. And I just think it got really difficult to figure out what was working, what wasn't working, and there gets a point where you have players like Bonucci and Gosens in there. And I'm not pointing fingers at them by any means, but it becomes really, they're, they're, they're players who have been there and done that. And it starts, I think that's when probably the, the, the drop-off accelerates. As Which is weird if in doing a way, it with it's a, weird. If, if, unless if you're, as opposed to when you're doing it with a group who are, achieve, who are kind of experiencing it all first time together. Do you know what you I mean? You almost need that extreme hunger. Yeah, You almost need like, to go and find the next like version of something. You know, like Sandra yeah. Tonali when he was like scrapping away at the bottom of the league with Brescia. You need to go and get those players yeah. and just keep buying hungry players who are desperate to be put on. Yeah. Who are desperate for their chance. Because that's the thing. You look at like all of those players that Union had, mm. if you look part of the ascent, they all had a point to prove. Ah, uh, mm. can't score in a big division. Uh, can't be a regular starter. Uh, you're past it. Like all, they all had a kind of, none of them were winding down. Mm. They all had a kind of um, an urgency. And there's also like, and people talk about identity being a cliche, but there's an union ethos. Mm. And that ethos is what got them the extra, the extra mileage in those, in those games. But again, like to the point, the Bundesliga, the players, the teams in Bundesliga, they're better coached this season. Yeah. A lot of those clubs have sorted their act. They got their act together. Yeah. And the clubs that had a scare are like, yeah. You know, like Stuttgart are flying and, right, right. you know, Leverkusen record start, I think equaling Bayern's record start to a Bundesliga season. <clears throat> yeah. It's, t- it's a tough league, man. One of the, one of the German football pundits on, 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 on Blue Sky, there's a Blue Sky reference, was saying how they felt like the Augsburg game mm. could have been the turnaround and it's a shame Fischer didn't get that one. Mm. I mean, we'll never know now, of course, and you don't know, but he did have a tough run of games as well. Like it wasn't, the, I mean, the Verda one, look at the, the tuna lost the Verdas and I thought, yeah, this is over. Especially how they started the season. They absolutely right. flew out those first two games and, they were, yeah. and, they, and they've just never looked the same since. It's, it was wild. But um, Marco Grota has taken over as interim and Marie-Louisa Etter is making Bundesliga history by becoming the first woman assistant. She's stepping up from the under-19s, which is really good to see. Yeah. Big deal here. Yeah, very best of luck to her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
interested to see what happens next for us. I think he'll get a good job. I think he'll get a really good job. Mm. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if he stays in the Bundesliga or if he goes elsewhere. I hope if he has a kind of proper return at some point, they just absolutely spoil that man. I'm not sure how it all works out. I mean, he might just yeah. disappear and not be seen for a while, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break and then we're going to talk Everton. Let's do it. All right, man. So the Premier League have dished out a record 10 points deduction for Everton for financial irregularities or breaking. What was the actual thing they got done on? Well, so breaking their financial fair play spend. That's the... Yeah. That's Um, went wrong. There are many pieces that have come out that you can go and read that have the proper, proper breakdown of everything. But the summary is, it's the heaviest punishment ever handed out to a Premier, Premier League team. It also opens up to potential legal action from Leeds, Leicester, Burnley and Southampton who have, were obviously relegated in recent seasons. Suing for loss of earnings. Yeah. So the lawsuit there is a total of 300 million. Uh, each of them saying they've lost 100 million because they went down when Everton didn't and Everton overspent mm. and they didn't. Um, that figure was assessed as one of the experts by as, as unrealistic, but still the fact that they're bold enough to make claims like that show the severity of the problem Everton's facing. Mm. And that could lead to a further nine-point deduction. Everton potentially could lose 19 points as a result of financial regularities. And what that says, of course, is that there are other clubs in the Premier League that should be extremely worried too. Mm. Because Everton, um, by no means the worst of a reckless bunch when it comes to spending. No, but I think that Let's talk about this first and then maybe we'll move on to like the wider sim, like yeah. what this kind of like could potentially lead to. But I think that one of the major things that they got, it was all, I think a lot of it was to do with like the Usmanov Mashiri mm. stuff. Yeah. And obviously when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, Usmanov was sanctioned. It meant that his, he had to withdraw from the club. There was a massive drop off in earnings from stuff like sponsorships involving Usmanov. I think naming rights for the, for the stadium, that deal was dropped. But I think there were also one of the problems that I think Everton got done for was the fact that low interest-free loans, I think, from Mashiri were not. I think they were included as like equity, so it was like creative accounting loans as equity. Jesus. I know. Do you know what I mean? Um, now Everton have, have come out and said that they, you know, they're su- they're surprised at the severity of it, mm. um, and you know, they were surprised that a sporting sanction was the punishment for something that, you know, is just a kind of, it's like arguing over accountancy stuff. You know what, prim- you know what football clubs are like. I mean, but how else do you like make the, make the punishment count? Yeah. This is the thing, isn't it? Because otherwise, I mean, you're going to throw money at the problem. Mm. Um, and also like some really unrealistic projections in terms of their business plan. Um, there was, it was at Marcel Brands, then director of football made a business plan on the, on the basis that Everton would finish in the top eight. And the mm. advisors were like, actually, no, maybe like 13th is more realistic. And they were, they were right. Listen to your advisors, people. So yeah. Um, and that's really frustrating and sad for Everton fans because Sean Dyche was really doing some decent work with them in the last few weeks. Well, I actually think, can we, should we talk about what next for them, right? Because mm. there have been some, there's been some really good writing and some really good uh, explain a podcast elsewhere that you know feel I think people should listen to if they haven't already I'm assuming that if you're interested in that kind of stuff you already have I think this is an interesting position for Everton because even if the points deduction stays I mean they, pro- they might appeal and get it reduced as well we saw that we- happen with Juventus last season all of a sudden they were oh 15 God. points and then it wasn't 15 points and then it was again and then it wasn't and yeah. Jose was losing his mind uh, it was all a bit confusing to see Juve all of a sudden just pop up in like third and then they were like 12th and they was like what well, was someone make their mind up of what's <laughs> you know? but I still think Everton are good enough to stay up yeah and, I think so and that's and the I best manager that, for the job he's even more so now actually but who goes to Goodison Park first after this this decision better not be Arsenal it's Manchester United Oh my God. Manchester United at Goodison Park next weekend. And there is nothing nothing that is going to galvanise this football club more than that because fans are being, well, the fans and the the football team itself are being, are paying the price for stuff that hasn't just been handled properly at board level, right? 
of a of a potentially outgoing administration, let's yeah. say. I, I mean, do you know what's really really bad though is that on the very last episode of Stadio before this happened, I was like, Everton fans were like, "Why are you? Why, you know, they didn't believe me." So I said they're going to be all right, and then literally the next day, oh no, that, that friend of ours <laughs> at the studio. Like, whenever we go in, he's so Lewis. happy because Everton are doing well. Lewis, and we're like, "Oh no, man!" Like, I, I felt genuinely awful because. You know, that win over the win over Palace, for example, stuff like that, just moving, training in the right direction. Calvert Lewin is scoring. It's just Mate, work. Like not yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's diff it's, it's a difficult place to go. Yeah. But I still think that Sean Dyche has got enough going on here. I think so. For them to stay up. Because I think that this actually is a really interesting Premier League season in the sense that like last year, there was no real middle table. There was right. just a load of like okay teams that were like 10th down and then there mm. were a load of really good teams above them whereas this season I think there is a very clear drop off in terms of Premier League quality the further down you go like mm. I think for example there are one two three I'd say six sides that I would put to go down before Everton went down okay interesting yeah, yeah. and I think that that's the key thing for them this season in, in that over the course of the season because it's happened so early you know you've still got 26 games left right mm -hmm. there is enough time for them to still get out of trouble for example if on the next match day Sheffield well Sheffield United play Bournemouth Luton host Palace so if Everton beat Manchester United there is a r very real possibility they could already get out of the relegation zone there's so much to play for that's the thing you're right early in the season gives them time to reconfigure also they've already got some really good team chemistry there so just like stick to the plan heads down hope that extra band doesn't come in and, and ride your luck but there's still I think a chance to make them out of it now one of the things that obviously everyone had to say about this online was well what about the City stuff what about the Chelsea stuff like they've got away with it how can they keep getting away with it uh, they haven't got away with it no you're seeing all the stuff that's coming out about Abramovich money being paid places while he was at Chelsea that is starting to really unravel maybe we'll do another episode on that later down the line when we when we have the bigger picture but I think there's a couple of things at play here so Everton got found guilty of breaching like a specific regulation Manchester City have been alleged to have breached a few bits of regulation yeah multiple times and if you look at how long it took the Everton thing to be solved bear in mind that Manchester City were only charged what Fet March I think it was it was this year yeah. that is going to take fucking ages to come to a conclusion the fact that the Premier League have been so severe on Everton it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be that severe on Manchester City you know Manchester City aren't going to have a, like a hundred point deduction it does mean we can expect a rigorous process I think yes, it does mean that regardless does. of the outcome I think yeah. that that's the from for the future, I think the thing that we're making Chelsea fans nervous and Manchester City fans nervous is like that is a severe punishment for one. Well, it's the it's the heaviest points deduction in Premier League history for this kind of thing. Um, right. Whatever, however, it kind of looks like there's a hell of a lot of smoke on different things, different cases. We know this, so I think that the fact that the punishment was so severe would be the worry for Manchester City fans and Chelsea I fans. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Because I'm not assuming guilt, but I'm saying that like the fact that the Premier League are, are kind of looking like they're, they're really going to clamp down on this stuff, I think, to be honest, way too late, mm. is something that could be scary. But then also, I think that in a weird way, you know, like when Juve went down that year. Right. And everyone just stayed. They won the league. They came back up. Came back up again. I think they I think actually for Manchester City fans, I think they'd be fine with it. Something I actually think they'd be fine with something it. Something nostalgic for the main road think, days. Honestly, I think they'd be like even if they got if they even if they got relegated. Do you know what we could do here? We might actually see a stadio, not a stadio. What if, but a more of a kind of like a a talk pundit. What if mm. play out in real time? Could Pep actually hack it in the fourth tier of like British football? Could he do it in the fifth tier, Musa? Could he I do it in the National League? I would laugh to see the first. You know, what would happen? I think in the, in the championship would be the first couple of games before City like got their rhythm. You would just have teams launching it at their centre backs, like and just pure rugby up and under style. And then, like I think they would get 
and they get a couple of bloody noses the first three, four games. And then they would just like assume. But the first three, four games, I think the championship would be very interesting. Mm. But that's all hypothetical. If City went down or not, we don't know. But as it is difficult for Everton because the new owner coming in, the new ownership, 777 Partners, has already been concerned about about them. So I don't know, it's, it's hard to sort of see much, much good news for Everton beyond the pitch at the moment. The good news is there is hope on the field. There are some really good performances there on the field. So I hope they just keep performing to that, to that, to that extent. Like I said, just because they've deducted Everton 10 points, it doesn't mean that it's going to stay 10 points. And I don't no. think it's, it, you're, I think it's really hard to get a gauge on what might be the sanction on Chelsea and or Manchester City. But they, even psychologically, even now for Everton, it's just a very deflating thing to receive in the middle of the international break when you should be relaxed and going, look, we're actually like at a nice place in the table. It just plunges you back into that uncertainty, you know? It's a mm. bit like, you know, like flat hunting in Berlin. You know, people eventually find a place, but the, the worst thing is they're not knowing. It's the gap in between, isn't it? The agony of, am I going to actually land somewhere comfortable? And that anxiety drawn out over the course of a season is something Everton fans are hoping to avoid, I think, at least on the field, you know? Whatever happened at board level, at least, we get the play right. But this is the sad thing about it. It's, it's taken out of the player's control to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I do think this is... Um... I mean, we have expressed in the past concern at how Everton was being run. Yes. Some of the signings they made, they went on that wild run of signings where they're signing people for loads of money. Mm. They kept signing number 10s, do you remember? And we're like, yeah. why, why are you doing this? Um, obviously, they got hit pretty hard by the COVID season and they're building a new stadium. So there's stuff there that has been, you know, they could argue were, were factors. But I mm. think it's the more... I mean, we've seen how fans have protested against the running of that football club for a long time. And there was, you could see the spending in real time for some, some of the fees that they were paying for people. Right. And I think that was always going to be hard to maintain to some level of the degree. Now, and I think let's it, look at it, like the mismanagement was just goodness. That's the word I'm talking about, mismanagement. Yeah. And I think that it actually leads into a wider conversation, I think, but it feels like it's a wider conversation that we've had already a, a million times. Right. Just about how football clubs are run in, in England. Because, you know, the independent regulator and all this kind of stuff happening. And the Premier League is by far and away the richest league in the world. And it's just all a bit icky. And it would be really great if there was some kind of wrestling back in terms of club structure. But you're just so far gone. People have yeah. bought those football clubs for billions of pounds. Right. And I'm not entirely sure how you wrestle it back to be a kind of, to be anything other than just this wildly out of control free market. Right. And with that, you're going to get people who are going to do this to football clubs and they don't really pay the price because they've kind of sold it or they're trying to sell it and bounce. Right. So it's the, it's the, it's the fans, it's the people at the club who do their job and just work with what they're, you know, is available to them. Also, I'd just say that that I think it's been interesting to see the difference in response to Everton's plight and other cases because it shows you that how much how successful those teams are play a massive factor in the kind of public opinion on it. Mm. You know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like no one was really no one really like even mentioned much about Man City when they were just signing silly kind of like championship manager legends in the first like few seasons mm. it was only when they kind of really started to get serious that everyone started right, to be right. like, whoa, whoa hang on a minute yeah and I think that's the we talk about this quite a lot but I think that's one of the differences between like here and say like yeah well, I know we talk about the Bundesliga a lot but it's <laughs> fans like put pressure like before anything even happens a lot in of the, the Bundesliga yeah yeah definitely yeah 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 and yeah I think Sometimes that, on behalf of other clubs in other countries. Yeah, definitely. It's misinterpreted yeah. as jealousy, but it's not. It's, no. it's genuinely, and I think that there's yeah, genuine been, care. We've, we've talked about this for, for, I think, since we started Stadio, about they're, they're, there's going to be a point when the, something in the Premier League, like... Gives. Yeah. Because, as we've seen with any, like markets if you know what I mean like something always gives at some point Super League yeah we know and we know there's a line now we know there's a line in football for when things go too far for the fan to stomach because mm. we saw it with the Super League and there'll be a different manifestation of that with the Premier League different manifestation when it becomes too much 
Mm. I mean, I don't know what that would be or how effective it will be, but I think that I'm not entirely sure. I, I don't understand how many kind of like cases you need for stuff like that in the Premier League, like in terms of like past administration or like financial irregularities. You know, clubs that have charging a club with a load of breaches of regulation and then giving the very person who had to announce those charges, then giving them the trophy and the award and the medals at the end of the season. It's just all a bit like, yeah. what are we doing? Um, and I know I've done that classic thing now, just being like, well, what about City and Chelsea? But not about what about City and Chelsea, but they, this, I think the three cases, even though they're all very different, there will obviously be a link there because they've happened at similar times to different clubs with involving different things at different times. So it's, in, it's going to be interesting to see how consistent or actually, the, if, the, if the punishments aren't consistent or they're quite different, why they are so. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I do think that, you know, the 115 charges thing that I think has now been reduced a bit, but still over 100 charges. I think the fact that, yeah, I think that that, that number is much like 10 points is very, very, very headline grabby. Mm. And I think that when, yeah, the fact that it's kind of repeated breaches of, a, of like one thing doesn't sound as sexy I suppose for the for the well look, look maybe look nothing is listen financial accounting is one of the unsexiest topics you'll mm. ever talk about in a podcast but um, I do think at the same time there will be a conversation about whether this sets a precedent and what other clubs can expect in the wake of this mm. and overall to be honest regardless of the outcome it's just really sad to see a great club struggling like this because it should be so much better. Everton should be, they should be looking at where Spurs are and thinking, new stadium, manager who gets the club, everyone putting together, you know, that, that could be us, but we're playing. That well, could they have might been us, get there. We're playing. They, might, they, they might well, it's not impossible, but... Like they might yeah. deal with the points deduction. They might stay up. They might get the new owners in who aren't particularly great anyway. Well, get the right owners, I think. I'm not sure these lot are the right owners. No. Get the right owners. Ugh, football man. Football. It gives, it takes away. It takes away, it takes away, it takes away. No, no. <laughs> it gives quite a lot. Gives but a lot. Um, one thing it does give us are plenty of moments, which is topical because of the tune that we're playing out on. <laughs> Great segue. But, uh, should we leave it there? Should yeah, we do it? Do it. That's good. It. All right, it. everyone. Um, we hope you're all staying safe and well, like we mentioned at the top. Uh, don't forget, no Wrighty's House on Tuesday, no Stadio on Thursday. Wrighty's House is back on Friday. Full schedule next week. And you've got Counter Press this week as well, so don't forget to check Flow and the Gang. Uh, don't forget to check the Sadio Outro's place on Spotify. I mean, we've been both loving the Andre 3000 album, right? I, it's it un- it unlocked. It, it, it unlocked Writer's Block. Wow, no yeah, way. It unlocked. It unlocked. You know I think that would be, I think that would be one of the best compliments he'd, he'd take. From that. It's a spectacular, you know what I love about it? It's so brave just before we head off because I just want to quickly say about this album. Oh my goodness. Um, New Blue Sun. I actually wrote a poem about it. It sounds super, sounds really pretentious, but I am, I am actually a poet, sorry. It's pretentious, yes, but this is what poets do. And I listened to the album. I, first, I gave it its first listen through on the flight. Mm. So I was basically like, you know, I literally listened to Arno 3000 at 30,000 feet. And what I thought as I listened to this album was I thought, it's such a perfect listening experience because, you know, you're above the cloud, no distraction no Wi-Fi, you can't surf the phone, you're just looking out the window, beautiful kind of like, you know, mid-afternoon sun. The thing about this album, I remember thinking, it's so perfect for the moment we're in, because how many times, because the album is just like, it's just basically him playing flute incredibly with beautiful arrangements, lush synths, all this. It's a gorgeous record. Now, the thing about it is, I will say, is that there's been so many things in the news that I've had no words for. Mm. And I felt this album perfectly expresses without a single word in it, so many of the emotions I feel about the world at this point. Yeah. It was like the perfect accompaniment. So when I landed on the, I landed um, in Berlin, as I landed, I was like, oh, there's a project I'm working on at the moment. And this album has helped give me, like give myself the permission to write it. Because the reason I've had writer's block for the last few months without realizing on this project is, is because I was not giving myself permission to write it. And that album unlocked it. I swear, no word of a lie that album unlocked it. I mean, it's a great album. I love it, man. I love it's it. Beaut- it's gorgeous. It's isn't so it? good. It's it, genuinely- it reminds me of um, a lot of like early beatless Detroit techno. Wow. Some of the stuff on there reminds me a lot of that era. Like 
The arrangements are just unbelievable. Just, it's just sick, it's man. Just, it's just sick. It's just, <laughs> I wish we could have played out on air, but I don't think we could have cleared it in time. But um, but what I was going to say was, because even though we, we can't play out on Andre, it, it, I have been listening to another very, very lovely album, which is by uh, Habitat Ensemble, and a track called Moments, mm. which is on a very kind of similar similar vibe to that. So we're going to play out on this. Love that. Um, so don't forget to check the Stadio Actress place on Spotify. And uh, anything else you would like to add, Musa Kwonga? Thank you, Andre 3000. I love you, 3000. <laughs> yeah, and big up Habitat Ensemble for this, uh, for this beauty. Absolutely. Have a lovely week, everyone. Enjoy Wright's House, and we'll be back with you next week. See you then. <laughs>